well this morning. My name is Josh, lead pastor here at Bethel. Uh, we haven't had a chance really to introduce this yet, but in the pew in front of you are, is a green connect card. And so if you are a guest here, welcome. Uh, I met some guests going through the front door and um, thank you for worshiping with us today. So if you would fill out that connect card, you have the entire sermon in the next three hours to fill that out. And if you put that in the offering bucket at the end of the service, and we simply want to pray for you this week. We want to encourage you. If you have a prayer request, let us pray with you. Uh, use that green connect card. If you have, uh, if you made a decision for Christ and need to get baptized or you want to join the church, this is a great way for us to help you take the next step in your faith. So use that card to facilitate that. You have the entire sermon. It's not going to be three hours, um, probably more like two and a half, but you will have time to fill that out um, today. For those of you who are watching at home, um, some are traveling today, some are sick. We can't wait to see you next week. God bless you. You're a vital part of what the Lord is doing here in this place. Have you ever wondered where churches acquire their names? Some churches, newer churches especially, they, they want to use the coolness factor. So you, you hear and see churches like Elevation Church. Or church that I love to watch online is a sound church in Texas, Watermark Church. Uh, there's a church called the Barefoot Church or maybe Fuel or Church on the Rise. You know, I, I just think those churches are cool when I say the names. Other churches take a more traditional geographic approach. First Baptist, Atlanta. Birmingham Community Church. Capitol Hill Baptist Church in Washington, DC. There are some churches, though, that use the geographic name, and because of the obscurity of their location, it has difficult consequences for the church. These are real communities and real church names. For instance, Flippin' Church of God. Maybe not the best. Boring United Methodist Church. Okay, um, here. Halfway Baptist. Or there's a church called Little Hope Baptist Church. Now, I would encourage them, if, if you are located in Little Hope, maybe you are Hope Church, right? In Little Hope, wherever it might be. But some churches, instead of trying to wade through those waters, take their names from Scripture, and they take their names from examples that are godly and noble. For instance, it's the church of Ephesus. There are many Ephesians churches around because of the example of that community of faith. Another church, Bethel. Right. If you don't know that's where you are, this church is called Bethel. <laughs> Bethel, house of God. And there's other churches called Berean church. And this morning, we are going to look at these peculiar people called the Bereans and simply ask the Lord, God, make us people who years from now, others would look at us and say, we want to be like them because they pursued righteousness and godliness in their life. So we continue our series in the book of Acts called The Model Church. And if we don't know what we're aiming for, we will never hit the mark. And I don't know about you, as we open the Bible, the living word of God, this church has been just a beautiful, this, this sermon series has been a beautiful refreshment for my soul. 
So if you have your Bibles with you, Acts chapter 17, verse 10. So in the New Testament, we have the Old Testament and the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Chapter 17, beginning in verse 10. If you're using the Pew Bible, does anyone have the Pew Bible? Can you give us the page number? I hear that someone's about to give us that page number. I'm ready. 984. Thank you. 984 if you're using the Bibles in front of you. If you do not have a Bible at home, please take that. That is our gift to you. Our sermon title this morning is simply, Walk Like a Berean. Walk Like a Berean. Acts chapter 17. Verse 10. As soon as it was night, the brothers and sisters sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. Upon arrival, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. The people here were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, since they received the word with eagerness, and they examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Verse 12, Consequently, many of them believed, including a number of prominent Greek women as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica found out the word of God had been proclaimed by Paul at Berea, they came there too, agitating and upsetting the crowds. Then the brothers and sisters immediately sent Paul away to the coast. But Silas and Timothy stayed on there. Those who escorted Paul brought him as far as Athens and after receiving instructions for Silas and Timothy... To come to him as quickly as possible, they departed. Let's pray. Father, we have read the living word of the Lord. Father, we ask that you would radically change our lives this morning. Father, this is not simply a book. This is the inspired God, breathe revelation that we might seek you and serve you. Father, help us know you more today than we have ever known you. And Lord, for those that right now in the midst of this worship gathering, Lord, for those who do not have yet the faith to believe, we pray that you would change their heart. Lord, that you would convict them of their sin and where they have fallen short and that you would let them know that you love them and have provided the way for eternal life in your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, this is our prayer. And we pray this in your son, Jesus, his name. Amen and amen. Walk like a Berean. Some of you are trying to right now even do the dance. Not the same song. Walk like a Berean. So what is happening here in Acts chapter 17, verse 10? Paul is going on his missionary journey as he normally does. And he's telling this beautiful story of this man born in Nazareth who claimed to be the Messiah. And this man lived a sinless life. And this man of Nazareth died on the cross, not for anything that he had done, but for trumped up charges. But because he was sinless and lived a perfect life, and three days later, as we have already sung, this Messiah from Nazareth rose again. 
And whoever believes in that Messiah will not perish, but have everlasting life. Paul is going from town to town to town delivering this good news. Actually, he is on the Ignatian Way. So he's going from, if you can see this, he's going from Istanbul, modern-day Turkey, through Bulgaria, which we have a group of our, from our church going as missionaries to Bulgaria later this year. And he's traveling through Bulgaria, and he's ending his journey near Rome near the Adriatic Sea, and it's a short skip to Rome. As he's traveling from, as he's going west, he's being met by Jews expelled from Rome by Emperor, Emperor Claudius. So you see this influx of Jews who are disgruntled and fleeing persecution. Paul is delivering this good message of hope in Jesus Christ. And now we have this cultural conflict happening on the Ignatian Way. Why do I tell you that? Because during this conflict, the brothers and sisters in verse 10 grab Paul and they bring him to Berea. The famous historian Cicero says that this is an out-of-way town. It's actually 55 miles. It's about a three-day walk. So in the course of one verse that we quickly read, it's taken Paul three days to leave the way, the Ignatian way, and to go to a place that he had not planned in Berea. And in this town, we find a very peculiar group of people. So much so that the scripture tells us who they are and what they are. And it tells, them they, it tells us they are not like people from Thessalonica. Let's read verse 10. These people, these Bereans, in verse 11, were of more noble character than those of Thessalonica. Why? Because they received the word with eagerness and they examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So the first thing that God wants us to emulate in these people is their nobility. Simply walk with nobility. Now, what does that look like practically? That's the question we have to answer. See, Paul is going from town to town, and every time he goes into his new town, his first stop is always the what? The synagogue. He is proclaiming the good news to people who would be very likely to believe and have it in their hearts ready to receive this good news. He goes to the synagogue and he meets these people, and they are of noble purpose. Now, here's what comes to our mind as Americans when we think nobility, most likely. Some of you immediately go to Buckingham Palace. I've been to Buckingham Palace. And for whatever reason, the queen did not come out to greet me. But I will give her a second chance one day. Beautiful. It's hard to go to Buckingham and not feel overwhelmed with the majesty and the regality of this structure, this monarchy. Some of your minds went here. Some of your minds went to Ten lords of leaping, nine ladies dancing. That's where your mind went because we do not encounter nobility often here. But that's not what the scripture is saying about those in Berea. It's not saying that they were of noble kingship, but it's a simple word that that designates a person who is willing to learn and evaluate something fairly. So this is what we would call them now in modern society. We would simply say that the Bereans were open-minded. These people who, who had an open mind and they evaluated fairly what God had said in their life. 
This is the only time in Acts or Luke that any person, any people group is designated with this term open-mindedness or nobility. I don't know about you, but if God says this only once about a group of people and encourages that, then we should also emulate this behavior. We should be people of open-mindedness in our life. Luke says that they had no prejudice to prevent them from giving Paul a fair hearing. See, God wants his people to be open-minded. And if we're honest, which is often difficult to do in church, if we're, if we're truly transparent, if we're honest, one of the great criticisms that the world has against the church and the people of God is what? That you people are close-minded. And you know what? They have reason to make that accusation because God's people should be open-minded. Open-minded. Now, you're going to say, well, pastor, just wait. Then that, well, that'll lead us to all sorts of evil. We're going to cover that. But the first beautiful recognition that the Bereans have is they are of open-minded, noble character. How can we be open-minded? You see, the closed-minded person is that way because they're prejudiced or lazy. They simply don't want to think. And God's people are open-minded. Here's why we can be open-minded. Because we know the truth of Jesus Christ. And in Jesus, we have every answer to every major question that we need in life. And so if I have every major question answered in Jesus, how can I not be open-minded because my soul is satisfied? Oh, that we would be open-minded and this is the way that we should live. We should live with an open mind and a closed hand around the word of God. An open mind and a tight grip on the word because we evaluate everything in our lives as Christ followers, not by my word as pastor, not by the tradition of Bethel Baptist Church, not by what the people say, but by the word of the Lord. The danger that we have is many of us, if we're honest, we don't know God's word like we should know it. Oh, that we would be open-minded. You see, prejudice and judgmental attitudes have no belonging in the kingdom of God. None. The closed-minded person says, we've never done it that way before. Can you imagine if the Bereans said that? The closed-minded person says, this is the way we've always done things. And I say this as someone who's uttered these before in my life. The closed-minded person says, well, I just don't have time to listen. But the open-minded person, the Berean says, God, let me learn what you want to teach. And God, let me receive what you want to give me. And I look back at my life, how many times have I missed out on what God wants me to learn because my mind has been closed off to the things of the Spirit. Oh, that we would be open-minded. And I want to pause right now and give us a moment to pray. And this is my prayer for my life. God, let me learn what you want me to know. God, let me receive what you want me to receive. Let me be of noble-minded character. Let's take a moment and pause.
Would you, would you be bold enough to echo that prayer? You can do it out loud or in your heart. God, let me learn the things that you want me to learn. God, right now, as we pause, let us receive the things of your kingdom, that which you want us to receive. God, give us an open mind, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, that we would be like the Bereans with an open mind. And when we have open minds, it leads us now to the second quality that we should yearn for. Look at verse 11. Because of their noble character, they did what? They, they received the word with, with eagerness. They, they were ready. I, I'm ready for you guys to tell me what the answer is, right? They received the word with eagerness as if they were just ready to launch and receive what God had put in their lives. Can you imagine the way our lives would change if we woke up with this mentality? This attitude. God, I can't wait what you're going to do in my life today. God, I'm ready. Oh, that we would have this urgency and this eagerness about our life because of what Christ has done in us. That we can say, God, I don't know what you're going to do today, but I know you are going to do something. And so I'm ready for that. I was reading a story this week about a man named Robbie Robbins. He was an Air Force pilot in the first Iraq war. And he had flown 300 missions. This was near the end of the war. And as soon as he finished his 300th mission, he received word that he should gather his crew and fly back home immediately. They flew through the night and arrived in Massachusetts late, late into the evening. They immediately, because they were eager to go home with his platoon, they immediately jumped in the car. They were all from Western Pennsylvania, and they drove straight to their house. He was dropped off about six o'clock in the morning without telling anyone that he was going home. And this is what he found as he was dropped off in front of the garage. He looked and there was a huge banner that said, welcome home, dad. He goes inside and immediately he sees the house in activity. They're getting ready for school. And his little daughter runs up to him, Susan, and gives her dad a huge hug. And he says, Susan, how did you know I was coming home? He said, I didn't have time to tell you. And you, you had no clue. And this is Susan's word. And she answered with tears of joy. Her hair was already fixed. Her makeup was on. And she had a brand new dress. And this is her words to her dad. She said, Dad... Once we knew that the war was over, we knew that you would be home one of these days. And daddy, we knew you were going to surprise us. So we were ready. And I began to, to read that and I said, Lord, what if this was my attitude towards you? God, I don't know what you're going to do in my life, but I know you're a good heavenly father that doesn't give stones to those when they ask. Lord, you, you want to give to me, Father. You love me. And Lord, I don't know what you're going to do, but I know you're going to do something today. And so, Father, I want to be ready and eager. I think some of us have given up on God working in our lives. I think we have grown weary and so instead of having a sign above our garage that says, Welcome home, Father, 
we see cobwebs. And oh, that we would be like the Bereans and say, God, rejuvenate our hearts. God, work in us. God, may there be an expectancy in our lives. God, let me walk with readiness. That's God's desire for each and everyone who believes. God wants to work in you and he will work in you. Let's be ready. That way when God works, we don't say, well, I didn't see that one coming. But we say, God, I, knew, I didn't know what, but I knew it. God, I want to be ready when you work in my life. God, may we have an open mind. God, may we be ready. And third, we see this in his people. They receive the word with eagerness and examine the scriptures daily. Daily. To see if these things that Paul had said were true. Not only were they noble, not only did they receive the gospel, but they examined these words. Now this expression in the Greek is a very graphic legal term. It means to almost examine someone or something on trial. So they put Paul's words to the test. They heard what was being said, but they didn't leave it there. They did what with those words? They they looked at Paul's words through the lens of Scripture. Now, let me just pause there as a person who loves the Old Testament and has done much study in the Old Testament. What was their Bible at that point in time? It was the Old Testament Scriptures. They were examining what Paul said about the Messiah compared to the promises of God from Genesis to Malachi. And they found that what Paul had said was true. Now, let me just say this as a pastor. You should not mindlessly listen to what I say or any pastor or anyone. Examine what I say right now through the word of Christ. Because if what I say does not match what God said, what God said is truth. Not what man says. So we should filter everything that we hear through the lens of Jesus Christ. And it reminds us that being open-minded does not signify that we check our minds at the door. And that's what we're prone to do, is it not? Well, well, just by faith. Let's Let's not think. Let's just by faith believe. God never says that. God never says, turn your mind off. You actually, new age meditation encourages you to think about one thought over and over and over until you have nothing in your mind and then you will find peace. Actually, God says the opposite. God says, think about my word over and over and over again until your heart sings with confidence that the word is true and that you have a heavenly father that is doing what he says he will do. Church, do not check your mind at the door, but we should engage our minds for Christ. Who gave us our minds? The Lord, the Lord. So we should keep an open mind and yet we evaluate things with our mind that God has given us. We must think critically and compare everything through the lens of Jesus Christ and his word. In 2013, I read this on the news. I I just read it, but it happened in 2013. Make sense? An off-duty Chicago police officer was pulled over one afternoon. And he found it strange because he was pulled over by an unmarked car 
with lights. And when this gentleman approached his car, he realized that this gentleman did not have any signi- he did not have any sign of being a police officer or law enforcement. There was no gun, no mace, no badge. So to the surprise of the gentleman who pulled the off-duty cop over, this gentleman said, "Can I see your license?" The off-duty police officer, realizing something was amiss, asked this unmarked officer, well, let me see your badge. And at that point, the phony jumped back in his car, fled the scene, and was later arrested. I began to think about that story. You see, the off-duty police officer knew that something was amiss because he knew the truth. Because he was an off-duty officer with the Chicago PD, when this phony came and said, I am an Chicago PD officer, he realized this is not reality. This is not true. And so he, calling the other man on it, calling truth, truth, and lie, lie, he made the enemy flee. I begin to think about that for our church. What would it look like if we knew the way, the truth, and the life so much that we could, we could spot a false idol from a mile away? What, what if we could see sinful desires and temptations? Because we were so drenched with the word of God that when, a, when an idol or when a temptation comes through our door, we say, hmm, looks really pretty, but it's rotten. God, I want to walk with circumspection. God, I want to I walk with the mind of, of God. I want to walk with the lens of Jesus Christ. What would it look like if we knew the Messiah so much that we could look and say spiritual warfare, spiritual warfare, and that when the enemy comes at us, that we say, ha, I knew you were gonna, I knew you were gonna be here. I recognize the unmarked car. And when he saw that we were people of God, he would jump back in and flee because the presence of Jesus in our life. That's what it looks like to walk with circumspection. Youth, that's why it's so important. How can a young man keep his way pure by walking according to your word? We need to be people of circumspection to know the word of God. And what we need to to teach one another and speak to one another is not traditionalism for that sake, but to speak with one another with the word of God. That we would walk with circumspection. And because they were of noble open-mindedness, because the Bereans were eager for the things of God, because they walked with circumspection, look at verse 12. Many of them believed. Many of them believed. When they listened to the word and they looked at the word, something beautiful happens. Many of them believed. And I I can imagine that they were running from house to house. Hey, Look what I found in the word of God. I know Paul was saying this, but look, I found it right here in Isaiah. This Messiah that he said bore our sins and carried our guilt. The one whose stripes have healed us. This is the one we've been looking for. And I can imagine that person running to someone else's house and saying, hey, you know the prophet like Moses in Deuteronomy, the one that we've been praying for, he's here. 
Paul told us his name. His name is, his name is Iesus. And he was born in Nazareth. And I can imagine that person running to the other neighbor and saying, hey, you have to believe because God, what he promised, it is true. How beautiful was the town of Berea. I could see lights coming on at night when, when their hearts were illuminated with the word of God. Oh, that we would walk with confidence that what God says is true and that we would believe. You see, believing is not checking our minds at the door. Believing in Scripture is simply this, trusting what God says. Do you trust Jesus Christ? You say, well, of course, Pastor, I'm at church. I have to. That's why I'm here. But do we trust that God's plan is the best plan for our lives? Do you trust that when God says sacrificially give, and serve and love and pray that we say, God, I don't want to do it, but I trust you more than I trust myself. And God, I want to follow you. And so I will align my life with your life. Can you say this morning in every aspect, God, I trust you because I believe. That is what the Lord wants for us. That we would live with confidence that Jesus Christ is enough. That Jesus Christ is enough. I don't know the answer to this question. But I would imagine that one day if you see a Berean, and I don't know what they look like. I know they're noble. I know they're eager probably it's going to be the person when you go to heaven, if you're a Christ follower, and I believe in a true heaven and a literal hell. And for those that know the Lord, you're going to pass through judgment into abundant life. And for those who have denied that Jesus is the way, that Jesus is the truth, that he is the life, that there is a place prepared for you. And God lovingly wants you to turn from your sin. But I can imagine that we're going to go to heaven one day and there's going to be these people that are cheering, saying, yes, we've been waiting for you. We knew you would do it. And we're going to say, man, why are you guys so eager? And then we're going to say, you know, I read about you. You're the Bereans. You're the ones that, that had an open mind and you're the ones that had your word. The word was in your heart and your mind and you're the ones that were eager for the things of God. And hey, I just want you to know that I tried to live my life like you. And I can imagine the Bereans looking at us and saying, y'all are still talking about us? We lived in Berea. I mean, out of the way. And what would it look like if a thousand years from now and the Lord does not come back, if we lived in a way that people look back at Bethel and they said, we want to live like you guys. And you had an open mind of the things of God. And you were eager. Man, did you see how you celebrated when people came to Jesus Christ? It's like that's the best thing that could ever happen to someone. And we would say it is. 
And you, and you knew the word. You didn't just read it because you felt like you had to have a quiet time or a plan. You read it because you loved it, because you loved God. And, and we saw the way that you walked with confidence. When the world threatened your life, you acted as if it was no threat. As if we, if we killed you, it would be gain. And we would say, it's funny you mentioned that. Because to live is Christ and to die is gain. Oh, that we would walk in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus. Maybe you're here right now and you don't believe. I pray that you would have the faith like the Bereans to look at God and to look at Jesus and to test him. Because I have and I have found God true. And I have found in Jesus everything that I need. I found that Jesus is so much better than this little moral charade that we sometimes play in church. Because God looked at me one day and said, Josh, you can't do it on your own. And for, in, in an instant, I was angry. I said, God, I'm a good person. And God said, no, you're not. But I want you to know I sent my son to make you righteous. Because Josh, it's not what you do, it's what Jesus did. And maybe you're there right now and you're, you're wrestling with God. I don't know if I have the faith to believe. If you would just simply pray where you are, God, I know I've fallen short and I want what the Bereans had. I want the faith to believe, to walk with confidence, to know that Jesus is mine. The promise is this, that if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. What a glorious promise to know that God wants you to have abundant life. Maybe you're here right now and you're struggling being open-minded. You watch too much news and the more you watch, the more closed-minded your heart and your mind become. And maybe you simply need to pray, God, you know I'm prejudiced. God, you know I'm, I'm closed-minded. God, open my mind to the things of heaven again. Give me the faith to believe. Maybe you need to come to the altar and lay some of these prejudices down because they have no, they have no right to be in the kingdom of heaven for the mind of those who have come by faith in Jesus. I just ask right now, would you live with confidence in the King of kings and Lord of lords that you could stand before the world and stand before God and say, God, I believe it because you said it. And God, I will live my life for you. Let's pray.